this is what Brenda Marie, host of the Building Abundant Success Series. Our spotlight is on democracy. My guest is former Governor Don Siegelman. He joins us a second time to talk about his experiences and opinions and his book, Stealing Our Democracy, where he talks about the last 10 years and what he has learned about the justice system, including his five years spent in prison. And he talks about how he continues to fight for justice in our democracy. Go to stealingourdemocracy.com to find out more about this great book and about Don Siegelman. Don and I are coming at you right now. So I want to welcome you back to the show, and I thank you for very much for being with us. I wanted you to talk today because we have the corona outbreak. This is something they say that's new in history. But um, talk about your experiences being really an inmate. You know, you went from governor to inmate unjustly, but that's what happened. <laughs> what are some of the conditions and things that we on the outside don't know? And well, with Corona, you know, wow, it's got to be interesting. You, you, you've got some stories to tell. Well, I, and, I, and I, I do tell them. <clears throat> I do tell them in my book, Stealing Our Democracy. One of the things I, I talk about are the conditions um, ranging from you know the solitary confinement in a maximum security prison to the, you know transfers to you know when you get to your final location, which may be your final location. In my case, it was a minimum security prison. Um, they call it a camp. Well, it's not really like you know camp weehaha whatever. You know, it's 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 a it's it's more. Well, it's a prison camp, and the the there's a you know that Oakdale is where I was, and Oakdale has been uh, described by the Washington Post and the National Public Radio and Wall Street Journal as the epicenter, the ground zero for coronavirus, a prison under siege, and there's a reason why Oakdale. Uh, is a prison under siege, and it is because of the living conditions. The inmates are are stacked one on top of the other, and not just in in bunk beds, but in in the in the room where I was for a period of time. We called it the twenty one man room. Uh, it was because we had we had bunk beds that were stacked three on top of each other. So that uh, we had uh, 21 people in there, bunk beds stacked three on top of each other. You could literally stick out your arm and touch the other bunk. There were there was very little separation. Two people couldn't walk down the aisle at the same time. Once you got into the bed, you were there. You could not sit up because there wasn't enough room between your bunk and the bunk above you to raise your head even to sit up and read a book. The, um, the, the general population of that, uh, of that prison was, it, it bumped around 150 to 175 uh, generally. It was built for 80. The uh, cafeteria holds cafeteria. It's not really a cafeteria, but it's a room with, uh, with 
tables and chairs, tables and uh, and stools, and there it seats forty people. So. You know, you can imagine when you have a room that's built for 40 people and you have 150 or 175 trying to eat, you, it's close, close, close quarters. And the living conditions in the rest of the what they call the dorm, it's, it's really a cinder block warehouse with a tin roof. There's no circulation. Windows are shut. Doors are shut. Uh, there's only a, a couple of big fans at one end of the dorm that blow dust and whatever else that people exhale and cough uh, from one end of the dorm to the other. Uh, and, you know, they have communal showers, communal soap, urinals are inches away from each other. There's no protective shield. So that inmates are forced to live in these extremely close quarters. The conditions before this virus were grim, but now they are deadly. And um, it, it, is, it should be taken seriously, even though... You know that we we see on the national news that the that the virus is perhaps trending down uh, while death rates are going up. Well, I can assure you, if we don't move these inmates out of these prisons and jails, and not just at Oakdale, Louisiana, but in every jail and city jail, county jail, and state and federal prison, if they if if there is not some effort to separate these people, um, the death toll is going to continue to climb. Uh, with 2.3 million people locked up, uh, clearly the worst is yet to come. Oh, I haven't. Um, in terms of, you know, there's a lot talk about prison reform, and um, this, I'm sure... Is is not what people are uh, are talking about in terms of prisoner. We're talking about health and wellness and safety of prisoners. Um, a total different category. But you know, this is under prison reform. Has there been any talk on Capitol Hill that you know of, or any hearings on anything like this to help make change? Well, there there has been. Um over the years, they, um, you know, we we had some uh, stalwarts, uh, members of Congress who, Bobby Scott comes to mind, um, and uh, you know, and, but and Hank Johnson from Georgia and uh, Steve Cohen from Tennessee, some of the some of the Southerners that I know personally, and of course, you know, Dick Durbin and the and the Senate uh, have been. Advocates for uh, justice reform, prison reform, sentencing reform, um, but the the problem has been, and this relates back to something I, I want to go back to uh, about getting these inmates out and getting them separated. But and I, well, I'll just go ahead and talk about it. The, you know, the, the, the United States. House of Judi the Judiciary Committee of, of the House uh, has put pressure on Bill Barr to do something about these inmates. 
not just at Oakdale, but around the around the country. And Bill Barr issued an an order uh, to to be, begin identifying. This was last Friday, a week ago, to begin identifying inmates who are nonviolent, who are first offenders, who pose no public safety risk. Um, and also inmates who have preconditions, physical conditions, heart conditions, lung conditions, uh, you know, other respiratory problems that where they could be susceptible to, more susceptible to getting the virus and dying. And he has said, let's do something. If they're facing a short sentence, if there are only a few months left, move them into home confinement or halfway houses, you know, use ankle monitors if you have to. But the, the, I want your listeners to, to get this, to understand this. Everybody knows what a bureaucracy is like. Everybody knows how slow it is generally to get the wheels of government moving. It can be you know, applying for your tax return or getting a driver's license or, you know, paying your property taxes or whatever. Um, or if you want to get a remedy, a Lord's bid, I mean, if you want to get, a, if you want a remedy out of government, if you want them to give you a rebate, give you something back that they've got, it takes forever. Well, I want you to, when you're talking about getting something back for inmates that is giving them back some time or getting them in a safer environment, multiply that slowness by multiple times because we have been living in this country for decades now with a mentality of lock them up and throw away the key. We have had so many wars on drugs and crimes. Crime. Mm -hmm. Uh, that we have created a mindset that that anybody that's indicted must be guilty and they ought to go to prison and and get them off the streets. We don't want to see them again. And it, right. it's uh, it is it, it is it is you know terribly unfortunate. All right, let me let me also go back. This is something you will remember. But remember the uh, the Michael Caucus uh, Bush debate when Michael Caucus was asked a question about the death penalty. You know, if your wife was raped and you know, would you get murdered? Would you be for the death penalty? And he said no. And then they they uh, there was the story of uh, Willie Horton who uh, had was in prison on a murder charge and was out on weekend passes and he uh, raped and murdered again. And so they used those ads. And the Willie Horton, uh, it was sort of a brand then, you know, we're going to produce a Willie Horton ad to be used against your opponent in whatever, you know, attorney general race or governor's race or, or whatever, a local race, you know. And so we have we have developed this this mentality in the country that um, everybody behind bars is dangerous and doesn't need to get out. But the the truth of the matter is that most are nonviolent. Um, large numbers are first offenders, and um, 
And I, the question that I ask, and I'd like your readers, your, I mean your readers and, and viewers and listeners to to to, to grasp is. If it is okay now to for California to release 3,500 inmates and New York 2,500, um, and if it's okay for cities and counties throughout the United States to release inmates who are in jail for parole violations or, or misdemeanors or nonviolent felonies, if it is okay to, for, for the federal government to release inmates who are First-time offenders, nonviolent, pose no public threat to public no no threat to public safety. What are they doing in jail and prison in the first place? You know why why are they there? And I want to give you one example. While I was in prison, I was at Oakdale for five years. This is the this is the Ground Zero prison. This is the prison under siege. This is the prison where. A total of five inmates have died as of well, a couple of days ago, maybe more now, but uh, there were been eight inmates nationally, eight inmates nationally who have died. Five of them have been at the prison where I lived for five years. And as I told you, there's a reason for that, and that's because of the living conditions. But... My point here is that uh, not everybody is violent. M many have many, you know, needed to go to prison to straighten themselves out, but they they didn't need a a 25 year sentence like Juan Garcia. Juan Garcia was picked up for a half ounce of marijuana or more in 1994, given a felony, put on probation. In 1997, he was picked up again for half ounce of marijuana or more, put on another felony, put on probation. Well, guess what? The third time, three strikes, you're out. Uh, 1999, picked up on a marijuana charge, no amount of marijuana. It was a conspiracy charge. Didn't have any marijuana, none. But it was a felony. Three strikes, he's careered out, sentenced to 25 years in prison. Point is, this this man served, ended up serving 19 years in prison. Juan Garcia, you know, a half ounce of marijuana, half ounce of marijuana, no amount of marijuana, three felonies, 25 years. He served 19 years. I had the pleasure of writing his petition for commutation under President Obama, and lo and behold, he got it, and he got out after 19 years. But you know. He didn't need to be there. <laughs> he didn't need to be there that long. You know, a year, two years maybe for a, a piddly amount of marijuana, if you're going to put somebody in prison at all for marijuana. But, you know, that's a, that's a story and a discussion for another day. But my point is we've got people in prison like that that don't need to be there in the first place. And now we are subjecting them to living in conditions where they could die from this virus. They need to be moved out and moved out quickly. Some people will say that, um, you know, well, they're, you know, the mentality um, well, they're in prison. They're, you know, they shouldn't have been there in the first place. That I believe is what we think of people who happen to be poor, in prison, disabled, etc. 
Um, I agree with you. Um, but in terms of prison reform, there have been so many marches and appeals for this. How long or how much longer do you think that it's going to take for there to be real change? Well, you know, I'm always looking for a silver lining, and maybe, maybe this virus could prompt uh, leaders like Dick Durbin and, and Bobby Scott and others to uh, rejuvenate some of some discussion about criminal justice reform. And and you know, I, I mentioned earlier that I've written a book called Stealing Our Democracy. It's available on Amazon. You can go there or you can go to our website, stealingourdemocracy.com. But it's it's my hope that my book will uh, give rise to a call for criminal justice reform. And there are some there are some things that we could do that would change the system dramatically, which would level the playing field, which would protect those most vulnerable, the the poor, the disabled you mentioned, men and women of color, we just touched the tip of the iceberg, but I think after people read my book, they're going to be so outraged and so upset, they're going to demand the changes that I'm proposing, and that will give me the credibility to stand before Congress and argue to the House and Senate Judiciary Committee that these changes must be made. If we protect people... If we protect people at the initial stage that ends up throwing them in prison, you know, what happened What happened to the uh, Central Park Five? You know, five, five African-American men wrongfully accused of raping, uh, you know, uh, and, and you know, women in the park. But it was, they were, they, their testimony was all um, forced and coerced. And you know, if you if we're going to, we need to protect people before they get to the grand jury stage. And when we do that, there are going to be fewer men and women of color, fewer people who are uh, poor, ending up behind bars. So the problem of mass incarceration will will clear up. Of course, we need sentencing reform. Um, and you know changes in our laws, particularly in the area of the, you know the easy one is marijuana. Uh, but you know clearly we don't we need to decriminalize marijuana and and uh, you know that. But there are other changes that we can make in our in our both in our uh, sentencing standards and uh, in our criminal justice procedures that will balance the scales of justice, protect those most vulnerable, and will then help us restore our stolen democracy. Wow. I do thank you for this information. And again, uh, we will go to your website. What is that website? StealingOurDemocracy.com, StealingOurDemocracy.com. And I, I thank you for what you have done. Uh, you know, you've, you've been out there working, uh, and I say this, if, you know, for truth and justice in the American way, like Superman. <laughs> um, but you have, and uh, 
and we appreciate it. Those in the in the free world and those who are who are locked up appreciate the attention that you've given, and particularly to this subject that we touched on today, how the coronavirus is uh, disproportionately impacting and taking the lives of inmates. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you.